Good morning, everybody. Isn't it great to um, talk and share God's goodness to each other? But um, I want you to sit down now and listen, because we're going to read the Bible. We're going to turn to James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Okay, that's James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. So, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged by greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to tame his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies too. Look at ships also. They also are so large and are driven by such strong winds, and yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the pilot directs. And so also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth the same, from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Hey, Gary, great job last week. Thank you. You don't know if, if you weren't here last week. Uh, hopefully you are familiar with podcasts. You're familiar with getting online and listening to messages. That was a fantastic message last week. So thank you, Gary, for serving us and, and loving this body. But you know, James says, don't presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach, here's an encouraging word, will be judged more strictly. <laughs> hey, what we're looking at, we're walking through the book of James, is today we're coming to this section where James is addressing the power of our words. You know, the writer of Proverbs says that our words can bring life, or our words can bring death. James says our tongue, did you catch it? <laughs> is a world of evil among the parts of the body. Those are strong words. Corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his or her life on fire, and is itself set on fire by, did you catch it? Hell. Those are strong words. You know, James is an incredibly practical letter, but what we're going to find in chapter three, chapter 3 I think it's counterintuitive what James says about the power of our words, the effect, really the impact our words not only have on others, but really the impact that your words that you speak have on your own heart. And the way that your words will direct and guide your life, James says there is power in the words that we speak both to change the heart, but also to bring life. You know, James, in an incredibly practical letter, at the end of chapter 1, James says there's three signs 
There's three signs that your life has really received the life of Christ in it. Three signs that we've been born again through, as he calls it, the imperishable word of God. And so if you grab your Bible, if you want to turn there, or if you take out your handout, you'll see James chapter 1, verse 26. And he says, here are three signs that we don't have simply a profession of faith, but three signs that we have a real, genuine encounter with God. And so he says in verse 26, true religion, and notice the things, the things that he brings up, is this. If anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. Now the NIV says, and his religion is worthless. And then second, he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows and their affliction and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That when our faith is genuine, not just a mere profession of faith, but a genuine faith and trust in God, James says there's three evidences of a changed life. On the one hand, it'll change how we relate to our words. There'll be a tight rein on our tongue. Second, how we relate to those who are weak, those who are poor, those who are lost, and least and lonely. And then third, how we relate to the world. That true faith in the gospel transforms your tongue, it transforms the way we love others, and it transforms our relationship to the world. Now, when we get to chapter 3, what we're looking at is how the gospel transforms our words. Now, in chapter 2, it talks about how the gospel transforms our relationship to the poor. And so he described a, a scenario that there's a poor man walking in our building, and there's a rich man walking in. Well, where does our heart go to? Who do we run to first? Do we show special attention to the rich man, and do we put the poor man in his place? Or is there a, a heart that seeks to love all the way that God has loved us? And so in chapter 2, he addresses our relationship to the poor. Chapter 3, he addresses our tongue. Now in chapters 4 and 5, what we're going to look at in the coming weeks is how we relate to the world, to the things in the world, the desires of the world, the things that we pursue. Well, today we're going to jump into chapter 3. And we're going to look at three things. One, James is going to talk about the power of our words. That our words have incredible power both over ourselves and those who listen. And then second, we're going to look at the use of our words. Now, James doesn't talk a lot about good words and bad words or true words or false words. Rather, the way he describes it, there are only praising words, blessing words, or cursing words. That words either impart life or words can impart death. And then finally, and importantly, how can we heal our words? You with me? The power of our words, the use of our words. And then finally, how can God heal our words? And before we jump into God's words, let me pray and ask him to guide us. Father, it is so good to be with the body of Christ today. Lord, you're with us. And so I'd ask, Father, in Jesus' name, you'd open our eyes to see, our ears to hear. And Lord, would you give us the grace to evaluate the words that we say and the words that we've heard. And Lord, for the words we've heard, would you give us healing and restoration as we hear the words from the Father. You are my child, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Father, thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 1, not many of you should presume to be teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I think simply put, James is saying where there are many words, 
there's a danger of greater judgment. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about the power of words. And he said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that is spoken. I have said a lot of careless words. I have spoken words that kill and destroy. And when Jesus says on the day of judgment, when, meaning when we're standing before the presence of God, he is going to judge us based on every careless word that we have spoken. What he's getting at is the power that our words have. Because see, it's not just that our words can create life and death. What we're going to discover and the reason that God says we'll be judged on the basis of our words is because your words reveal what's actually in the heart. You know, Jesus said it's from the heart, right, that your mouth speaks. And so whatever is captivating the heart, whatever the heart is drawn to, well, what's going to come out of your mouth is, is what you love what you're passionate about. And it's not just simply that God accepts us if we say good words or God rejects us if we say bad words. No, what he's saying is your words reflect what you really believe. Your words are a reflection of what's really going on in your life. Do you claim to love God? You know, 1 John says, if you claim to love God whom you have not seen... But you do not love your brother who you see, how can you say you love God? And in the same way, if we say words to others, to people that we see, and we praise God whom we do not see, but we do not bless those we see, how can we claim to know God? See, there is an impact and a power to our words. And see, what James starts to walk through, what's amazing, is he's going to describe not only the power of our words over others, which I think we all understand the impact of a careless word, but what is the impact that our words have on us? Not just the hearer, but what is the impact of our words on the one who speaks? Well, it's remarkable, and this is not the place I would start. If I was thinking to change my life, I wouldn't go to verse 2. And I wouldn't say that this is the secret to a a changed life, but notice what he describes in verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. But if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. That if we can bridle our tongue, listen, if you can control your words... He says, you can control your life. Is that the place you would start? (laughs) No. I would not think that the place to change my life is to start with my words. I'd say, okay, God, I need to start with my behaviors. Let's get incredibly disciplined, right? You know, get up at 4 a.m. because that's when a good Christian gets up and... You know, get in the Bible and and then pray and get in community and serve. And I need to do all these things. But James says there is a power to the tongue that really changes the life, that your words have power over your own heart. And the mystery is, master your words, you can master your life. Now, he goes on to explain that by using a series of illustrations. And he says in verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses... So that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. 
And then look at ships. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so, he says, the tongue is a small member of the body, but it makes great boasts. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And yet the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body and setting on fire the entire course of life and is itself set on fire by hell. See, that's a very negative illustration in verse 6. That if hell is in your heart, if bitterness, anger, resentment, rage, hatred is in the heart, I can guarantee you it's going to show up in your words. Are you an angry person? I mean, let's be honest. Are the words that we say, how about in the home? Can we go there? Can we open that door for just, just a minute and, and listen in to the words that are communicated in your house? Are they words of anger? I mean, is there elevated speech? Is there condemnation? Is there coarse joking? Sometimes we can say, hey, that's just locker room talk, and I'm not getting political. <laughs> that's just locker room talk. No. James is saying, that's a window on your heart. The words that we say give us a window into what we really value and what we believe. That our words have power. And on the positive side, in verse 6, he's saying that our life can be inflamed. Our words can take us in a direction that destroys life. But in verse 2, he's saying your words can also take you in a direction that brings life. That if you reign in your tongue, there's a power to reign in your life. As he said back in chapter 1, verse 26, that we need to keep a tight rein on our tongue. So, why is that? I mean, again, why is it that our words can change our life? Why is it that God cares so much about our words? Here's the first insight as I was studying this week, and this hit me, uh, it hit me rather hard. What Jesus says and what James is saying is your words, you ready? They reveal who you are. Your words really reveal who you are. As Jesus said, from the heart the mouth speaks. Well, do you notice down in verse 10 and following, he starts describing two sources and what's coming out. And he says in verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. From these things come out, it should not be so. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. So if you go to a spring, how do you know if it's fresh or salt water? Well, you know based on what's coming out. If you go to a tree, now unless you're somebody that knows a lot about trees, I know nothing about trees. The only way I know what a tree is is I've got to go and look at what's coming out. I don't know the difference between a fig tree and an olive branch. But I do know the difference between a fig and an olive. So how do you know what's in your heart? Well, the same way you test a spring, the same way that you look at a fruit tree, it's what's in your heart is based on what comes out of the mouth. 
So let me ask you, based on your words this week, what is growing in your heart? Like a Petri dish, right? What are you allowing to fester? What are you allowing to grow? James says we have to start evaluating our words. Our words are not insignificant. They're not just things that come out. Rather, they come out because they're in there. They're in there because, see, that's what we really believe. And our words say more about what we believe about God, ourselves, and others than our profession of faith or our creeds. You know, today we recited that great Wesleyan creed. That was fantastic. And we did it out loud as to pronounce it and to say, this is what we believe. And that's good and that's right. And yet James is saying... You've got to evaluate your words. And so let me ask you, are you willing to stop and say, you know, what do my words really say about what do I believe? And on the one hand, maybe you're a negative person, someone that sees everything in maybe a harsh light. Could it be possible that that's not just coming out of your heart, but rather that negative attitude is also being cultivated by the words that you say? Now, positive people, when you're around them, what do they do? They say positive things. Negative people, what do they, they say negative things. See, both the words come out of the heart, but see, what he's also going to tell us is your words will redirect your heart. They will strengthen what is already in the heart. And see, that's why I think it's so important for us when we're part of the body of Christ to recognize that Sunday's not enough. And I know in Evergreen it's hard. I've noticed that um, attendance in Evergreen is different than Arlington, Texas. <laughs> Arlington, Texas isn't as beautiful as Evergreen, and there's a lot to do. So I, I know many of you get pulled in different directions. I, I understand that. But I want you to understand, walking as a disciple, being a believer in Jesus Christ, it requires more than listening to me. What it requires is listening to each other. It requires being in community to such an extent that you love me enough and that we've established that level of trust together that you can say to me, you know, Jason, your words are judgmental. Your words are harsh. Now, I listen to the way you describe this problem with your wife. I'm telling you, the way you're describing your wife isn't going to lead to loving your wife because the words that you're using are caustic and they're nasty, they're coarse. Do you realize most of us don't even know the sound of our own voice? How do we think that we can evaluate our words in such a way that we can change our life? Rather, we need people in our lives that we can trust, who love us enough to say, you know, from the heart is coming forth. I think you believe it's fresh water, but I'm telling you, it's salty. Something needs to change. Church, are we willing... To love God enough that we will allow each other to love us in ways that they will start examining the words that we speak. You know, Hebrews 10, verse 23 captures it this way. And he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Meaning, let us hold on to our faith, to what we believe. Now, how is that going to happen? For he who promised is faithful... This is how it's going to happen. Let us consider how we can stir each other up to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as some in the habit, but 
rather encouraging one another. See, when it comes to holding on to our faith and when it comes to encouraging each other, we have to encourage each other based on what that person struggles with. And how will we know where they struggle if we're not willing to listen to each other's words, to love each other enough, not to use words to pierce, but words to heal, not to tear down, but to build up, not to crush, but rather to love. See, your words have tremendous power over your own heart. And think about the things that are in your heart. I mean, think about the things that come out of your mouth. We have praise and cursing. We have blessing. And we have crushing. Well, what's in your heart? Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is in our heart? Well, on the one hand, if you've responded and believed in the gospel, the scripture says you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. God's very presence is now alive and at work within you. David said, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I would not sin against you. There is a lot of good things. There's the words your mom said to you, you're such a good kid, you're such a good boy. There's the things that maybe your boss said to you this week, hey, great job, couldn't do this without you. There are a lot of good things in the heart, but there's also a lot of death in the heart. Because I think we live in a culture where what you do, whether good or bad, comes out in words and they say, this is who you are. Right? What you do often comes out in words from others, and you may hear that from a parent from the past. You were disobedient. And they said, you know, you are a rotten, worthless child. Those words spoken in that moment in sixth grade, seventh grade, they took on a power and a life that even though that parent is gone, the power of their words continues to change the heart. Now, there are good things in the heart, and there are things that destroy in the heart. I think all of us can be honest with that. But here's the question. Which, which of those things are you choosing to give power to in your life? When negative thoughts come into your mind, do you clothe them with words? Do you? A negative thought crosses your mind. It doesn't have to come out of your mouth. I don't know if you realize that. Just because it's there, it doesn't even mean that it's from you. You know, Paul says, go in Romans chapter 7, and he says, you know, there are things that I do that I don't want to do, and yet I find myself doing them. And then he says, it is not I, but it's sin that works in me. Meaning, there are thoughts that come across your mind that do not represent who you are, but who you were before you met Christ. Don't give them power. When you clothe those words, what it does is it gives those ideas in the heart strength. And you begin to grow things that in the end do not lead to life but lead to death. No, because in, in Romans 7, Paul says, no, I delight in the word of God. Meaning there are negative thoughts that come in my mind. There are condemning thoughts, but I do not give them power with my words. Rather, the words that I say 
I want to give power to the things that come from God. Because see, your words not only just come out of the heart, but they have a way of cultivating and directing the heart. And so scripture is constantly saying to us, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. Meaning the dead stuff in your heart, it's dead. Don't give it life. The words that people spoke to you, it no longer defines who you are. Your identity is in the good word. It's called the good news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer an orphan who's tossed to and fro. Rather, you are a child, a son, a daughter of God, adopted through Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection. The Holy Spirit is in you. The body of Christ is around you. Church, we have to be committed to saying those words that breathe life into the heart and life into the lives of others. Your words don't just dictate what's in there. They direct what the heart loves. Your words have power not over others, but also over yourself. And so let me ask you, are we willing to evaluate our words? Are we willing to be a kind of people who love one another enough that we listen to each other? And we seek to discover what's going on in the heart. Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Your words have power. They not only have power over us, but James says they also have power over those who listen. You know, one of my favorite passages I memorized early on was in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 16. And it simply says, confess your sins to each other. Not so that you may be forgiven, because we know that forgiveness can only come from God, right? Why do we confess our sins to each other? Rather, and pray for each other so that we might be healed. There are things that many of you carry, sins from the past, brokenness in the present, and the reason you are not healed is you're not willing to talk to others about the things that you no longer want to have power, that you no longer want those things to have power over your life, when we confess them and say them out loud to another brother or sister, what, you know what happens is the love of God starts to come into our lives because I realize, hey, I just said that and they didn't cast me out. They didn't curse me. They, I just said that I struggled with this and yet that person is now loving and saying things to me that are directing my heart not to my brokenness and to my sin, but rather to God's love and his goodness and his mercy. He says, confess your sins to each other, meaning to change your life. Thinking isn't enough. Are you with me? I love to think. I'd rather sit alone and think all day. I'll tell you, in my heart, I solve all my problems. I fix the world. I see what's wrong with everybody. But the one thing I cannot do is really evaluate my heart. I need you. And if we don't have places of community where we can be honest and confess the sin that's going on in our lives, then what we're doing in many ways is just allowing that, that broken stuff to have more power in our lives. Church, are we willing to love God enough that we will love each other to evaluate our words? Now, our words have power. Our words have power over those who listen. Listen to what he describes. If you'll turn down in verse 8, he says, No human being, this is not helpful, can tame the tongue. 
It's like, why are we, why are we doing this then? No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Now here's where he says that poison shows up. Because with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. See, when you curse someone, when you slander, when you gossip, you're slandering the very likeness of God. You know, if I took, if I took the picture of your beloved grandmother, and let's say that she's, she's gone, and I took that picture and I just thought it'd be great just to draw, you know, a mustache, maybe, you know, just kind of change that image up, I imagine I would not be welcomed in your home. I imagine you might not care for the pastor at Bergen Park Church any, any longer. You may wonder what's, what's wrong with that guy to defame my grandmother that way, even though that image is not your grandmother. It's just a likeness. What is a human being? What is a broken, sinful human being? Someone who's created in the likeness of God. When you defame that person, you defame God. And those words can bring death or they can bring life. And some of you right now are still being controlled by the words of the past. And in part, we're controlled by those words because our adversary, you ready, is the father of lies. What are lies? They're words. Satan's power over your life is the power of the lie that you believe and accept is true. Did you hear that? Satan's power in your life is the power of the lie that there are words that maybe people that loved you, but they spoke ill-timed words, unkind, harsh words, and you haven't taken those words to the body, you haven't taken those words to God and said, Father, will you show me the truth? Would you show me who I am? See, God wants to heal the heart. Their power in our words. Now, James does tell us a little bit about how we use our words. So just quickly, he says there's two ways that the brokenness of the heart show up in the words that we say. So look at verse 5. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, but it makes great boasts. Hey, listen, I'm still talking about high school. You with me? My track times, they were excellent. I mean, I am, that's, that's my glory days, right? We boast, the tongue, out of the tongue comes these great claims. You know, we kind of elevate how well we did. No? Uh, we elevate how well we did. We elevate how good things were. Out of the tongue comes this boasting. But then he says in verse 9, we also curse. So he says the two ways that brokenness and sin show up in your life is these two things. Boasting and cursing. Paul in Galatians says provoking and envying. Now why do we boast and why do we curse? We curse to lift ourselves up. Because if I can tear you down, boy, that makes me feel a lot better about me. And when I boast, I boast to lift myself up. But you know what that reveals? What James is saying? What James is saying is your heart isn't captivated by the love and the grace and the power of God. When you boast and curse, it's saying, 
I don't believe the gospel. Because in the gospel, a righteousness from God now covers me, which means the robe of God's love, the robe of God's presence, the robe of God's righteousness now is covering my life. And he says to me through the person of Jesus, you are my child whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. You know, if I had just heard those things a couple of times from my father, that would have transformed my life. Yet to hear it from my heavenly father who knows how broken and sinful I am, it gives you a new identity. See, why does scripture constantly remind us of who we are and how God loves us? Because see, God is speaking those words to your heart. So that when the heart is satisfied with the word of God, it doesn't need to boast and tear others down to find an identity. Your identity is in Christ. Look at the depths to which Jesus was willing to go to rescue you, to love you, to call him to yourself, to know him. See, when the heart boasts and when it curses, it shows that we really, we don't believe. That our profession of faith is a mere statement of words. It's not real. It's real when it shows up in the power of the tongue. You with me? What James is describing is how our words reveal the brokenness in the heart. But as we end, how do we heal our words? And maybe you've never even thought that was possible. Maybe you've just kind of resolved, hey, that's who I am. Don't ask me to change. It's what I do. It's how I live. Well, James is saying the power of your words can either draw you closer to God or push you away from God. That is worth changing to know the love and power of God. So how do we heal our words? Well, again, just quickly in verse 9, notice what he says. Notice the comparison he makes with with our words, we bless our Lord and Father, and with, with them we curse man who is made in God's likeness. Notice the comparison. The opposite of cursing men is not praising men. What's the opposite of cursing men? It's praising God. Because Jesus said, the Bible says, if you love God, it will show up in your love for your brother. And if we praise God, if we're truly worshiping today in spirit and in truth and we are communing with the presence of God through his word and through those gathered around us, it's going to show up in the words that you say to others. Because if you truly love God and bless God, your words are going to bless the things that God loves. And God loves those he's created. See, what transforms the tongue is worshiping God. We can't strong-arm our way out of this. You know, we, we can't willpower this. We can't just evaluate words, write them down, and say, okay, I need to stop. No, what you have to do is to take the broken words and add in words of praise. We have to start saying things to ourselves and to others that lead our hearts to love and to know God. That's why we gather on Sunday, I hope, I hope we gather because we want our heart to be captivated by the glory and the goodness and the love of God. How's that going to happen? But do you realize on the cross, when I think of the, the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we think of the cross and what our minds, I think, go to, at least mine does, is the physical pain. You know, the pain of the cross was unbearable, a terrible way to die. 
And yet what you'll discover as you start going through those stories, it wasn't just the physical pain that was trying to crush and destroy Jesus. But did you hear the words that were spoken that Friday morning? See, I think many people were believing, hey, we have crushed him physically. Let's destroy him spiritually. And so the crowds would cry out, hey, Jesus, you know, you saved others. Why don't you save yourself? The, the soldiers mocked, he is the king of the Jews. Just come down from there. The religious leaders would scorn and condemn him. You know, he claims to be the Messiah. Look at what a mess he is. You know, on the cross, it wasn't just the physical pain that Jesus endured. Rather, all the broken words of life, all the fire of hell came out in words to captivate Jesus' heart. How easy would it have been in a a moment of physical pain and weakness? Have you been there? Listen, I get a cold and I'm miserable. I am terrible to deal with. Here he is. Receiving the wrath of God out of love for us, and yet what we do to him is to mock and to scorn and to curse him. I mean, were the nails not sharp enough? Were the thorns not strong enough? Did people really believe at this point they needed to continue to tear him down? Yes, they did. And yet what came out of Jesus' mouth? Life. Everybody else has given him death. Come down. You're powerless. You're worthless. Stripped naked, exposed. And yet he had an inner power, an inner wealth. The glory of God came out and it shone bright. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Where does that inner power come from? Peter says it this way. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, no words, no words to condemn, no words to crush, no words to boast. Rather, it says he entrusted himself. He gave himself over to the one who judges Justly, meaning when all the negative words of life could come in and kill, what Jesus Christ did was to elevate the words of the Father in his heart. To elevate the Father and to turn from the words of the world that are coming, that could come in and crush. And what Jesus did with everything he had is he ran to life. And yet when Jesus turned to the Father on the cross, you know what? He didn't get comfort. Rather, he received the wrath of God so that in our moments of struggle and hardship, and even, listen, in your moments of deliberate sin, you can run to the Father and hear words of life so that you can hear from the cross those words, you are my child and whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. You know, what heals, what heals your words is a heart that is captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the glory of God and his love for you. That though we were a rebellious sinner, he died for us. And his blood, as the writer of Hebrews says, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You know, Abel was killed by his brother Cain. And when his blood saturated the ground, what did his blood cry out for? 
What would your blood cry out for? I want revenge. I want justice. The blood of Jesus, when it was poured out on the ground, cried out for your forgiveness. When that comes in and starts to heal your identity, your heart, when you realize the ultimate verdict from God the Father is in, that verdict changes the heart and it begins to impact our words. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that, Lord, you are slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love. This is an area, Father, I I confess, I I don't do well. Lord, I I may cultivate a a strict diet of reading your word. I, I may even cultivate good relationships. But, Lord, I do not give weight often to the words that I say. And what those words can say about what is dwelling and allowing to fester in the heart. Lord, we repent and we recognize you are the word of life. You are the great word spoken over our lives. Lord, as you dwell in us, would you allow your words to flow through us? And maybe right now, Father, there is somebody that we need to ask forgiveness. We need to speak a positive word over their life. We need to share the gospel, which is the ultimate word that changes the heart. Father, we need your forgiveness. And if we haven't respond to the good news, the ultimate word of life, would we say, Father, would you accept me through Jesus Christ, your son? Lord, I realize there's nothing I can do in my life or to earn your love. Rather, your love is by grace and it's through faith. And so, Father, we receive that verdict from you that you have loved us through your son. And because we have received that life, you want that living water to flow through us to others. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. We please stand as we respond and worship.